Hey everyone, Lost Notes producers here. I'm Mike. And I'm Nick, and we've got another reissue on the feed for you. These are highlights from some of our favorite music podcasts out in the world. Yep, yep, and hopefully these will tide you over until our next season, which is coming very soon indeed. So, this reissue, it is one that I'm really excited about. It is an episode from the show Heat Rocks, and it's hosted by music writer Oliver Wang and the DJ and music supervisor Morgan Rhodes. So, on each episode of the show, they invite a special guest to talk about a heat rock, a hot record, a scorcher, a banger, just awesome albums from soul, hip-hop, funk, jazz, whatever, and it's released by our friends at the Maximum Fun Network. Nick, I have always wanted to hear you say the word banger. You don't hang out with me enough, Mike. I know, I guess so. Speaking of hanging out, I really feel like The Room in this episode could not have had a better group of people in it between Oliver and Morgan, and they've brought in their friend Cut Chemist, who a lot of folks on this podcast may know as a DJ and a producer and a deep crate digger himself. So he's brought in this record from 1972 by a band called Samande, and if you've been keeping tabs at all on the spiritual jazz revival that's been lighting up Southern California, you will find plenty to love in Samande's music. It is so good. I have to say this is like one of my favorite all-time records, so I was really excited to listen to this episode. Let's dive in. Hello, I'm Oliver Wang. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock, that LP that has burned something deep into their memory. And today, we are going to be talking about Samandi's self-titled debut album from 1972. Heat Rocks Podcast is a safe space for music enthusiasts. For music snobs, there are other places to hang. <laughs> to that end, if you've not heard of Samande, no problem. And no judgment. Your self-titled debut, released in 1972, didn't make a splash like other UK sounds. They came in peace, but meant business where the message was concerned. A message of brotherhood, freedom, some parts spiritual jazz, some parts just spiritual. If you're into gumbo, then the band in this album is all you. Mm. There's folk and rock, soul and spoken word, meditations and libations. For now, also know that what we're talking about is St. Vincent, Guyana, and Jamaica funk. That's what it is. Let it get into you. To talk about Samande, we invited Lucas McFadden, better known as Cut Chemist. Since the early 1990s, he's been one of the premier mix masters, selectors, producers, and all-around good dude to come out of the L.A. hip-hop scene. You may know him from his work with Jurassic 5 or Ozo Motley or his DJ mix tours with DJ Shadow or his own solo career, the latest capstone being his new album, Die Cut, which just came out this March. Cut Chemist, welcome to Heat Rocks. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. You know, we were talking before uh, we started taping about what other albums you might have been interested in talking about, and you basically said this was the only one. It was it was the Samande debut album. Why is this album the only one that you would want to get into? Uh, well, because it was the album that I loved the most, and I felt like, you know, when you dig through music and you have other friends who dig through music, a lot of what you're going to find is a filter of other people's taste going, hey, you know what? You should listen to this. You might like this. You might, you know, that one's whack. This one's good. 
And um, a lot of my digging experiences have been that. And Samande was was not that. Hmm. I <clears throat> stole that record. Oh. Statute of limitations <laughs> probably will probably, probably good. apply, but only I think to a certain dollar amount, which I exceeded. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in 1987, and um, I I was told about this record by a couple of b boys in New York City record store called High Tech, and it was on Bleecker. And mm. it was one of these short-lived record stores. I was out there, I was 15 years old, and they played me um, the Paul Winley 12-inch of Samande with yeah. Smoke and Chiba. And, and it was $15, and I was like, oh, man, that's got to be rare. It's too much money for me, though. Uh, and then I thought about it the next day. And I went back to go buy it, and they said, sorry, a Japanese gentleman came in here and bought it. Of course. And so that was my first experience of going, damn it, the Japanese came in here and bought the record I wanted? What the <laughs> hell? What are they doing with my records? And so, um, and so I, later that year, I, I found a copy of the album. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I acquired it. And, um, and I, all I knew was the song Bra. This was fair, fairly early. It was 1987. Yeah, yeah. And so I fell in love with another song, and it was, after I was done with Bra, I was like, okay, that's cool. What else is on this record? And I found The Message. Yeah. And I, I was like, well, what? The people are sleeping. This is the song. Right. It's a love. Right. And, um, and then from then on, I just found a new song to fall in love with. You know, Zion I, um, uh, Rick Shaw. I mean, uh, and then, of course, when you get into the song Dove. Yeah. It's just, it takes a long time to just deconstruct why one would love that song because there's so many different parts to love yeah and um and then yeah I, I just realized that it was a perfect album that i kept listening to at the most you know i probably really fell in love with it the most around that time that i was discovering dove was a few years later um in 1990 1991 when i was graduating high school and moving into college mm -hmm. and um and just kind of having a spiritual shift and responding to more of that element of that album than funky breaks and loops and stuff. If you can just for a moment take us back to, I mean, you 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 would have graduated right around the same time as me. So what was like an 18, 19 year old cut chemist getting into besides basically having her life altered by Samande? And theft. And theft. <laughs> yeah. Record theft. Record theft. Um in uh, 1819, so okay, you, you, let's go back a few years. And, you know, when I was 14, 15, I was taking trips to the East Coast with my family. Mm. My sister was going to school at NYU. And so we would visit every summer. And I would bring blank tapes. And while they were going to see a play or something, I would be in the hotel room recording Chuck Chill Out and Red Alert. Wow. 
shows as they were happening. Let's jump back into the Friday Night Master Mix Dance Party with Chuck Chillout and Dougie Fresh and the Get Fresh crew on KISS FM. And even taking the train to places like Queens and trying to venture out a little bit further. And so I was, I, it was always a pilgrimage for me because coming from L.A. and I just loved to research New York hip-hop. I always looked at the backs of records and see who was involved, write those names down and have a laundry list of names to look at when I went record shopping in these cities on the East Coast. And, you know, back then you could carry on three crates of records on a plane and, and bring it home and it's no big whoop. And I would bring them home and be the only kid in school that knew I didn't even have anybody to talk to about this kind of stuff because mm. they didn't care. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I found the record that Jam Master Jay uses in Peter Piper, <laughs> but also Grandmaster <laughs> Flash uses in Wild Style in 1982. The official adventures of the Grand Master You couldn't find high school friends to talk about this with? I'm so surprised. No, no. I, my high school friends didn't even care that I had the It Takes a Nation album like six months before it came out. You know, they were like, you know. Well, they'll probably care now if I tell them, hey, remember I had that on tape before you guys? And they were like, no. Um, but yeah, so I was always that guy that, um, you know, studied music. And, and, you know, I loved this culture so much. I wanted to get to the epicenter of it and extract as much information as possible to bring it home. And, you know, I don't know, just I wasn't producing at the time, really. I mean, I guess I kind of was in 88, but um, not to the point where I thought it was going to be a career. It was still just a hobby. So what was I doing with this knowledge? I don't know, just the fact that I loved it. And what kind of knowledge were you getting from the Samande album? So the Samande album was a non-academic no, you know, it wasn't um, left brain at all. That was the thing about the information that I was going after in, in the 80s about these hip-hop records. It was all very catalog-oriented and, and you know, um, oh, I have to fill the void of this. Mm. Um, I had to be a completist. Mm-hmm. Samande so was more of a time when I was kind of discovering a lot of new things in life, a lot of new music, the live circuit in LA was was really happening for me. I met Will Dog in 91 mm. and he was playing bass in a punk band. And so there was like this weird hybrid of funk, punk, rock in LA. It was a very interesting time. Um, Section 8, uh, Miles' band Incline, uh, Chain's Addiction, Red Hot Chili Peppers. There was all these amazing experiences and there was something about fusing genres together that, mm-hmm. you know, it, it went far beyond Walk This Way by Run DMC. This was like L.A. skate street culture meets funk meets punk. And it was really interesting to me. And there's something about Samande that kind of, mirrored that yeah. somehow a little bit. And I think it was the fact that they were fusing different genres together. Right, right. I couldn't really put my finger on, you know, like I could the information of this rap record um, in the 80s where it'd be like, this. that's what it is. I need it. Bag it. Store it. You know? 
um, as Tony Stark would say. This was like, wow, is this African? Is it like a little bit Middle Eastern? Mm, mm-hmm. It's is it is it reggae? Is it it's all of those things, but it and it fuses it in a way to where you can't really discern one from the other. You don't know where one stops and the other begins. It just all blends um, uniquely. There's so many pieces of that album that I explored and took time with and then went on to another part of it and went on to another part of it. And it took me that long. And I think that's one of the things that made that album timeless for me. Mm-hmm. And that I kept going back. And not only that album, but the the follow-up albums. But I still go back to that first album, right. and it is the one. Um, hmm. Yeah, so that's pretty much why I call that my favorite album of all time. Wow. High, high, high praise. High praise. Uh, yeah. Uh, in preparing for this interview, you know, I was thinking back to... You know, hearing the record, and and I and I wanted to pitch it for something I was working on. Yeah. And listening through, I was like, "Oh, that's ambitious, and that's not going to work." Um, in thinking about it, I thought this is not m- what I what I would envision funk to be. To me, it's not a straight ahead funk album based on my own yeah, experience sure. with funk. Yeah. So it's interesting to me that it's categorized as funk because to me it's so much other stuff mixed yeah, in. I agree. Which takes it away from the funk that I that I grew up on. Yeah. And I'm certainly talking about later stuff. I'm talking about the Barquets, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about Graham Central Station, stuff like yeah. that. This is completely different to me. It leans very heavily um, West African. So if you could just sort of like let let folks know like what makes this a funk album? What am I what am I missing? Yeah, I think, you know, I I think a lot of the, the elements that categorize it as funk are is the fact that it was embraced by hip hop DJs in the early days. And if that hadn't happened, I don't think that people even would put funk on that record. Sure. Yeah, I would think that that would be more of a jazz record than right. a funk record. Right. Right. Um, and the background of the of the core musicians were they had a they had jazz training. As, absolutely, as, yeah, yeah. absolutely, and West African music training. Yes. And you know, uh, talking to Steve Scipio, uh, you know, he talks about all that about um, the band circuits that they were in and out of before the band right. ad- actually solidified. And um, I can't remember who he who they were playing with, but I was asking him about the Middle Eastern influences, like mm. the the flute in the. Um, in Dove or the horn in The Message. Which gets into like very Snake Charmer kind of land. And um, yeah, he's like, oh yeah, that was all like coming up through this circuit, you know, kind of thing and fusing it. And there's so, there's a, a such a Caribbean influence. Um, so Jamaican to me, so reggae. I, I'm just steeped in, in in a real true funk tradition. And mm-hmm. so when I think about, I'm thinking about, like I said, the Barquets, the Ohio Players, Brass Construction, and this is completely different to me. Yeah, well, you got to, you know, what era are you talking about also? Because, okay, so Samande, you know, the music we're talking about is like 72 to 75. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's not going to be anything that, like, you can put with Parliament chocolate city on on over but um you know i think you can definitely pit it against barquet's late 60s early 70s stuff um i'm trying to think of other albums i bought with it you know certainly james brown records 
Um, Which they were clearly, I mean, people like uh, Patrick Patterson and Steve Scipio, the, the two main co-founders, I mean, they're absorbing all of this stuff, right? Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. I mean, being in the UK, it was all happening. What really stands out to me about Samandi is that they are a group, you know, they're, everyone in that group are immigrants to to Great Britain. And I think one of the differences in thinking about black American musicians and black British musicians is that most black American musicians came to the U.S. through slavery, whereas most black British musicians came there as immigrants from the West Indies. I mean, it all begins with slavery in both cases, but that what to me I hear reflected in Samandi, Samande, I, ne- I never know how to pronounce it properly, but what I hear in their music is them drawing from this incredibly diasporic and very immigrant um, heritage in terms of the way in which they're bringing all of these influences from the Caribbean, from West Africa, from the United States. The it, closest thing I could think of maybe from the British scene would be Asagi. Mm. Telephone girl, I've got your number. You've been recommended to me. You won't spend tonight in slumber. Gonna send it through right through me. I'm a businessman. You know, that's kind of close to Samandi, but not even really close because they depart from that whole like Afro rock scene and get into something way more spiritual. Plus, I mean, talking about. Um, you know, the, the musical influences. One of the guys is from Guyana, I think, right? Mm-hmm. So there's that whole thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when you, the things that I hold near and dear to my heart about Samande is, 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 I'll tell you right now, is the song Dove. You can hear everything you love about that group in that one song. Might be the one you were talking about, about trying to place, because it is really cinematic. And yeah. People I know in film have always responded to that song like, you know, it's like a seven-minute journey. It actually does sound like you're flying. Like, you are a dove mm-hmm. in that song. It's very impressionistic. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I'm the kind of guy that wants to see pictures when he hears music. And... That's what happened when I hear when I heard that song. Mm. You close your eyes and you're just, you know, when it takes off and the guitar's going, you're just you're soaring, dude. You're like in the clouds, and not a lot of music can take me away, like haven't you know, take me out of myself and put me into uh, a fantasy world. But that ultimately is what I want because mm. when I was a kid listening to music, that's why I listen to music. I listen to. The Star Wars soundtrack because I wanted to watch the movie and o- over and over again, yeah. but I couldn't. Yeah. So I had to just put on the record and imagine the movie. So at an early age, that was what I used music for, was to watch movies, kind of imagining movies in my head. And this Dove song did it. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It just didn't work for, uh, which is which was heartbreaking. Um, I'll, I'll find a place for it. Yeah, if you're listening do. to music, music supervisors, please don't beat me to it. Hey, I got dib- uh, Yo, I got dibs on that hey, thing. Hey, Steve, you're about to get a placement. <laughs> <laughs> it just it just didn't work out. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite songs on the album is "Listen." Oh yeah, it's great. Listen, brothers. Don't you think I'm trying to put you down? I like the message of "Listen." Mm-hmm. I like the pace of "Listen." I like the subtlety of listen. So we usually ask what the fire track is, what the fire track is. That's my fire track. Oh, okay. What's your fire track, Leon? Well, well, like I said, I went through different periods where it was, I went through each song on the record and went, that's the one, that's the one, that's the one. 
But Dove for sure is the one that that sticks with me the most. The message is pretty pretty close as well. Um, and then what's the one? Is it down 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 down? down. Zion I, there's something very tribal right. about that one. Yeah. You know, it's just flute and like big tribal drums and enchanting. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I and I guess uh, I love Zion I. I like listen because it's it's subtly spiritual. Yeah, Zion I is o- is overtly spiritual. Two two different sides of the same coin. Right, exactly. Listen is subtle; it sneaks up on you. Yeah, yeah, and, right. And, and and I love that love that about the song. Yeah. What's your sleeper track on here? What do you what do you think when people listen to this album? The one that they'll miss. Probably listen. I think that that took me a while to get to that one. Really. But you know what? Actually, I think Rickshaw. Rickshaw yeah. is is the sleeper song for me because I I I kept going by it and I'm like I'm I got enough to deal with. I don't need to be listening to Rickshaw. <laughs> but then I needed to be listening to Rickshaw all of a sudden, and I really loved it. I don't know. I just felt like I was in a Rickshaw. Rickshaw's a banger, though. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, that's great. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Cut Chemist about Samandi's debut album after a brief word from a couple of our other favorite Max Fun podcasts. Keep it locked. The Dead Pilot Society podcast brings you hilarious comedy pilots that were never made, featuring actors like Aubrey Plaza, Andy Richter, Paul F. Tompkins, John Hodgman, Adam Scott, Molly Shannon, Busy Phillips, Tom Lennon, Anna Camp, Laurie Metcalf, Felicia Day, Michael Ian Black, Adam Savage, Paul Shear, Ben Schwartz, Skylar Aston, Mae Whitman, Josh Molina, Ben Feldman, Nicole Byer, Jason Ritter, Sarah Chalk, Steve Agee, Jane Levy, Allison Tolman, Danielle Nicolette, Casey Wilson, Anna Ortiz, Lorraine Newman, June Diane Raphael, Kieran Chipka, Ed Week, Zach Knight, and Carrie Kenny Silver, John Ross Bowie, Jamie Denbo, Janet Varney, Alexander Forsyth, Summer, Ellen Morales, Matt Gordon, and many more. Listen at MaximumFun.org, iTunes, or wherever you download podcasts. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my favor. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my friend's favor. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my favor. I'm Judge John Hodgman. You're hearing the voices of real litigants, real people who have submitted disputes to my internet court at the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I hear their cases, I ask them questions, they're good ones, and then I tell them who's right and who's wrong. Thanks to Judge John Hodgman's ruling, my dad has been forced to retire one of the worst dad jokes of all time. Instead of cutting his own hair with a flowbie, my husband has his hair cut professionally. I have to join a community theater group. And my wife has stopped bringing home wild animals. It's the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Find it every Wednesday at MaximumFun.org or wherever you download podcasts. Thanks, Judge John Hodgman. Yeah, we're back on Heat Rocks talking some Monday's self-titled debut album with none other than Cut Chemist. If I could spin us back to the message for a moment, mm-hmm. is that I think of all of the songs off of here that probably have tra- has traveled the most, um, it, that might be it. And I think partly it's the kind of the catchiest in a con- more of a conventional way uh, of the songs on there. And what what I find remarkable is you will find the most random covers of the message show up, especially in Latin, Latin America. America. I know yeah, at least no, maybe it's the strangest thing. 
Yeah, at least three different covers. El Salvador, yeah. uh, Panama, and I don't know if there's probably a Brazilian one. There's even some like killer Jamaican ones via probably I think the UK. Um, yeah, why do you think that? What do you think is it about the message that that caught the desire for groups to cover it? Because I mean, there are a lot of amazing songs on here, but that's the one that other artists decided. Yeah, let's let's do our version of that. Do you think it might be the turnaround? Do 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 do. Like, who doesn't want to cover a song that does that? You know, it's just so inviting. Like, okay, it's here. You take your turn at it. Because that's always, it's almost like Sissy Strut. You know, it feels like do 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 Yeah, yeah. Very similar. Um, and then every group, like nobody does it the same. Not, you know, there's no two groups out there that can do it the same. A lot like Sissy Strut. No one's ever going to do it like the meters. I don't care how hard you try. I don't care how funky you think you are. You can't do it. Um, and 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 that and the message is the same way. I'm not just saying that other versions are not as good because that that Panama one is fire. It's incredible. Um, they're all good because it's a great song. Yeah. But no one's going to do it like Samandi. You're all up in my psyche because we keep talking about songs that I wanted to place, and I also wanted to play Sissy Strut, but uh, that also didn't work out work out either. So, listen, if you're listening to this right now, you need to just <laughs> get on the program and it, like, play yo, these songs. I do, I do, but that's a uh, yeah. That's that's one of the books. I wanted to ask you a question, Oliver, because I know you have um, interviewed the band, and I wanted to ask you about sampling and how they felt about sampling because of course they've been sampled by like hella hella people what's their feeling about sampling are they embracing it or are they like yo so yeah i did get to i got to interview um patrick and steve um for rolling stone a few years back and i did ask them about the sampling thing and this is this was patrick patterson's answer which is quote I think sampling is a great thing personally. I think the creative process is such that young players can hear something in a piece of music and can make that evolve into something new and fresh and vibrant. That's great. The only concern I would have, and many would have, is ensuring that intellectual property rights are observed. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Which is to yeah, say yeah. that sampling is great as long as I'm, as and I'm, I'm getting covered. paid for that. And, yeah, yeah. You know, I can dig it. You know, that's, we all want everybody to get a piece. It's just be, be findable. I'm wondering from you, Cut. You know, given your relationship to an album like this, for example, mm-hmm. is would you have you ever sampled Samande, and would you not simply because of the relationship you have to it? Like, are some things too sacred? Okay, to so so with? I think all of the early Unity Committee demo tapes samples at least one of every song. Oh, okay, Samande's never mind that. I mean, I did Fug. I did. Um, I did not do Dove, oddly enough, but I did Going Down. I did Zion Eye. Made a beat out of those. Um, bra was touched too much, so I left that alone. <laughs> and uh, and then I think I definitely sampled pieces of Rastafarian folk song. When I was a We need to hear this, some of this demo stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 good. Uh, I'm trying to think if we actually cut vocals to the Zion Eye one because we used to perform it a lot at the Good Life. Ah. It was called Tuna Seven Chemistry, and it was. Um, <laughs> I remember the bridge goes, <laughs> the bridge goes into the bridge by MC Shan. Like okay. I thought, hey, how about if we make the bridge? 
get this, the bridge. <laughs> and they're like, you're a genius. Anyway. Any favorites out there? Any fa- besides your own work? Any any favorite samples? <laughs> favorite uses? Oh, not, yeah. oh that's a not great my work. My work would not be on any favorites list. But um, I thought the Fugees did a good job with Dove. Oh yeah, I thought yeah. they did a good job on with the that. score. Yeah. Soldiers. I thought De La Soul did a really nice job with Bra. Right. Uh, with was it Change of Speak? Yeah. Once again, it's time to buy more soul. Flavor you will save it in your soul. Wax is distributed in Vinso. That was probably my introduction to Samande was was so listening Dela to the Daylight album. Okay. Like, I didn't know about Samande when I was listening to Daylight. Yeah, it was interesting. So. In in '84, when I just heard Chuck Chellock go boom, 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 I was like, oh, that bass line. And then like two years later, three years later, it's, I hear it on a rap record. I'm like, that's that. And you know, I was just so obsessed with anytime I heard something twice, I was like, oh. Got to find the original source, and um, <laughs> and that was the basis of my f- um, obsession with everything. Um, but uh, also going back to kind of setting up the room of what it's like in '91. Um, you know, I was I had dreadlocks. I was wearing ponchos. I was you know in community college and in a rap group that utilizes musicians like Will Dog and a drummer and in the punk scene and the rock scene listening to the doors into this house we're born into this world we're thrown and listening to like reggae kind of for the first time Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know just trying everything out and buying a, a bunch of records and also that was kind of my way of just being a sponge for new music, you know, listening to Rotary Connection for the first time, mm. discovering Axelrod, all happened in, in, in around that same time. Are there any bands now or any movements now that remind you of Samande? Th- Who now? I think you? more. I think more so than ever. You know, like groups like you know when you get into stuff like Hydus Coyote and stuff. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Tune Yards, uh, uh, mm. like a hundred percent, hundred thousand percent. You know, they're blending genres to the point where I can't even tell what they're pulling from because they're, you know, we're living in a, a, a playlist shuffle society where it's just like people are listening to Sgt. Pepper with, you know, Guar and, yeah. you know, James Brown and, 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 and like some French obscure soundtrack. And it's all filtering into their brain and they're regurgitating it as things like these groups, which are churning out a weird chemistry of different sounds that come from I don't even know where. Um, so, it, yeah, it's almost like Samandi like times a thousand yeah. nowadays um, to the point where, you know, you hear somebody doing something straight ahead and it almost feels cliche and cute. You know, like, oh, listen to this retro funk band doing funk, mm. you know, but not really putting anything else into the mix. Um, sometimes that works, but sometimes it's boring. Mm. And, 
you know, I, I always have to have a little rock in there, you know, a little bit of guitar, a little bit of bad boy, you know. <laughs> not um, the puffy variety. Not the puff, <laughs> puffy variety. And um, I think today that you, I, I know I listen to a lot more music, new music now than I did like probably 10 years ago or even 20. Certainly probably like, I don't know, in that 90s period, outside of the rap records we were talking about before the interview, um, I wasn't really listening to any new stuff. Hmm. Until 93, until the big wave of, you know, Nirvana and, and um, Alice in Chains. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mazzy Star and all that stuff. I was, I was killing that. I still am. That's probably my most romantic rock period during my lifetime, you mm-hmm. know, outside of living, um, listening to things that mm-hmm. existed before my time. And what's your lead-off single? If you're thinking about radio play then, what from this album is the one? If you're trying to pitch this to yeah, it would be the, the it would be the message, you know. Right. Uh, that, that would be it. And you'd think that would be enough to get it, but they were probably like, oh, it doesn't sound American enough. Right, right. <laughs> I, I bet you that, that was said. Right. 100%. Right. Doesn't sound a, American enough. A little bit too eclectic, I think, for, for, yeah. for radio play at the time. Yeah, it's like, well, the reggae stations aren't going to play it because it doesn't sound reggae enough and it's not um, American enough to play in a funk station, you know, with James Brown. And then it's also a little jazzy. And it's a little too, you know, yeah, and it's not going to, the jazz station ain't going to fly. So, yeah, it was like the first time you hear like a hybrid of music genres and they didn't fit into any box. And lo and behold, hello, that's the album cut chemist loves the most. (laughs) Well, I'll go and listen to Die Cut, and you'll find out what happens when a guy really likes a Monday. Oh, man, you were, you, were, you were ahead of your time, your future thinking. Well, I mean, I just, I, I still don't, I think it's boring to be pegged into a box and just be like, that's what it is, and that's what it'll always be. You know, back then I made a choice when I, probably because of this Monday album, that I said, that's not going to ever be me, mm-hmm. because it's not that, and I'm responding to that. So... You know, that's why I got down with groups like Ozo Motley because, oh, yeah. you know, is it a funk band? Is it a Latin band? Is it a rap band? Is it, it's none of those. It's all of them. Yeah. You know, and uh, Samandi was a big part of, you know, Will Dog and I's kind of like connecting in the early days. Will I'd, Dog from Ozo Motley. Yeah, yeah. I'd be like, dude, you got it. We'd be in my, my Honda in the front seat. He'd have his bass in the car and we'd be listening to the tapes, the Samandi tapes. And I'd be like, dude, learn this bass line to bird. Like a bird. No, didn't do the sky. I wish I were. Doom, 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 doom. Doom, 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 In Samandi, I was like, y'all are killing it, dude. You got the best bass lines out of everybody. That's what made their their music so dope. They were, you know, it wasn't there as a reinforcement. It was, uh, dude, it was just so melodic. And the chord progressions they would do with the bass was unlike anything I've ever heard. Mm. And um, all those songs, I was like, dude, you, you, your bass player should be in a castle. And it, it's, isn't that... <laughs> Yeah, I, that's either Steve or Patrick, I think. I think Patrick might be the bass player. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah, big up to the bass. Um, anything that jumped out at you 
differently in listening to the album again and prep for this? What do you think you might have missed the first time you listened to the album? Not any new ins- no, any new insights? Man, let me tell you something. <laughs> I went through that record, and I, you know, I interviewed them two years ago, and I did, I, I, you know, did what you're talking about. I said, man, I got to listen to all their stuff, and just to make sure, you know, I know what I'm talking about. And I thought I was gonna outgrow the record or not feel the same way I did when I first heard it or you know in then in that romantic period certainly in 90-91 and uh that wasn't the case I loved it just as much mm-hmm. and it it just and I could listen to it without like that nostalgic filter where I'm like oh I'm back in 1991 in my you know parents place no this was like I'm in 2016 at my own crib and you know I'm l- listening to this music with that filter and sure. it's still good do you think that this album is was right on time, ahead of its time? Ahead of its time. Or timeless? Timeless. I'm going to have to choose timeless. I think that there are elements of that album that people still don't understand mm. and probably never will. Or it's one of those things where I don't think it's meant to be understood by a bunch of people at once. It's for the individual to discover and connect with. And I think that's what makes it timeless. Um, so we ask this of all of our guests. If you can describe this album in three words, what would they be? Do 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 That bass line, come on, that's a winner. Not that that answers your question, but it just popped into my brain. That was great to hear you sing though. Yeah, but I mean if you think about that song, it's like you're thinking of the keyboards. But it's that bass line. So funky. It's going up, you know, while the un- other instruments are coming down. It's like a crescendo and, and, a, and, a, and a decrescendo at the same time. Anyway, sorry, I went <laughs> off on a tangent. Um, sorry, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> Describe this album in three words. If oh, you can. F- that's cruel. Torture. So does it have to be like, um, can Any it just words. be three? Okay, yeah, yeah. Any three. Uh, spiritual, transcendent, uh, impressionistic. Oh, see, there we go. Good. Boom. Yeah, because, you know, because of that cover, it feels like kind of like a painting, like a little bit of, I can't remember, is it Manet or Monet? Who was the Impressionist? I think it was Monet. Monet. Yeah, you made a point earlier about, um, you know, black folks in London and so, sort of these uh, diasporic sounds, and it reminds me a lot of a group called Bugs in the Attic, mm. which is mm-hmm. from West London. And uh, and their keyboard player is a guy named Kaidi Tatham, and he had an album called Agent K Feed the Cat. There's a song on there called Arms Are Day, which sounds like it could have been a bonus track on this album. It's You don't know what it is, a little bit spiritual jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of those guys are from Jamaica. Mm. I think I, I find that a lot of artists, especially some of those future soul artists from London, bring this sort of sound. They bring these influences. West Africa, they bring Jamaican influences all together. That's just their leanings, whether it be the drum patterns or the chanting or how they're singing. So if, if you're listening to this and you get a chance to check out that song, Arms Are Day, I think you'll find a, 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 a bit of familiarity and similarity to this to this album. Mm-hmm. If they slowed it down a little bit and didn't have that ch mm-hmm. it would sound like it belongs belonged on this album. But to your point, Oliver, there's a lot of that going on. Yeah, absolutely. Mm 
That'll do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, Cut Chemist. His new album is called Die Cut, the first in, what, 10, 11 years? Yeah. Uh, Cut, where can people find you? Uh, let's see. I'm uh, always online checking my uh, DMs personally. <laughs> so you can hit me up on the old uh, cutchemist.com slash Twitter, uh, the Facebook, the, uh, the Instagram. Um, and then I'm going to be on tour, uh, continuing tour. Thank you so much. This is really a really delightful conversation. Thank you for having me. I love Very talking nice about Samandi. Yes. You too. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wang, and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan Rhodes, along with Shanna Deloria and Kara Hart, both of whom engineer and edit our show. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Max Fun family, taping every week in their studios in the peaceful Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. So that is an episode from Heat Rocks. It's hosted by Oliver Wang and Morgan Rhodes. You can subscribe to the show, and you definitely should, at MaximumFun.org. It's a great listen. Thanks to Maximum Fun for letting us share that episode with you. If you are just finding us, you can rewind back to the first season of Lost Notes, available wherever you found this episode, or at KCRW.com slash Lost Notes. More news on our next season really soon. It's coming next year. Thank you for listening. <laughs>